0: Hey y'all, um, thanks for joining us. Um, I know everything's a little bit crazy with finals going on, but um, I think this is gonna be a um, really exciting chance to get to hear from our um, five panelists this evening. I'm gonna go through and introduce them before we get started. Um, so to begin with, Maggie Hoyt Rupert is a residential real estate attorney with the firm Nugger McClennan & Fish, where she has been for the past two years. Before joining Nugger, Maggie spent eight years as a conveyancing attorney with a small boutique real estate firm in Boston. Maggie co-chairs the title conveyancing section of the Boston Bar Association, real estate and finance committee. Her undergraduate degree is in linguistics from Bryn Mawr College in Pennsylvania and she has attended Suffolk Law School. Um, next, Nancy Baskin is the founding and managing partner of Baskin, Kirshner and Thorpe LLC, a four attorney domestic relations law firm in Boston's Back Bay. Nancy graduated cum laude from Dartmouth College and attended New York University Law School where she was an editor of the Law Review. She began her career in the commercial real estate department of a large law firm in New York City, and after three years, moved into matrimonial law at a New York City firm that specialized in high-profile divorce cases. She moved to Boston in 1993 and worked at a boutique divorce firm in Boston, and subsequently at a large Boston firm that was seeking to expand its family law practice. In 2001, she opened her own practice, which is now evolved into Baskin, Kirshner, and Thorpe, practicing exclusively family law, primarily in high-net-worth matters. Andrea Carrillo-Rhodes is a senior attorney who practices family law at Greater Boston Legal Services. A graduate of Boston University School of Law, Andrea focuses on empowering clients to take back a sense of control and agency in their lives through education and litigation in the courts. An active member of the racial justice group at GBLS, Andrea also serves on the diversity, equity, and inclusion section of the BBA in the Women of Color Committee of the Women's Bar Association. Jamil Moore is an attorney advisor with the US Department of the Interior. Her practice focuses on procurement and contracts, realty, and environmental law. She is a graduate of Boston University School of Law. Uh, Last but not least, Scott Lauer is an assistant federal public defender in Boston, where he represents indigent clients facing criminal charges in US District Court. He previously worked as a public defender with C. PCS, the Massachusetts State Public Defender Agency. He is a graduate of Ohio University and Boston College Law School. Um, So to get started, we are gonna have some preset questions that all um, of our panelists will answer. um, And then at the end, we will take it for questions that you, the students, have. Um, Throughout, you can feel free to put your questions in the chat. Um, I will go through and kind of pick those. Um, If there's anything that for whatever reason um, you don't want me to put your name on, you can feel free to DM it to me. Um, My name is Jillian. I think you should all have the ability to just message me directly. Um, But yeah, to get started. So um, we're gonna let each of our panelists um, give a brief explanation of what a typical day is like for them. Um, So to start, um, Jamil,
1: do you wanna go first? Sure, hi everyone. As mentioned, I'm an attorney advisor with the Department of the Interior. I'll give a little background on the agency. We have several different offices and bureaus. I'm in the solicitor's office. We have six legal divisions and over 300 attorneys. Half are in Washington, DC. The other half are located across the country in different regional and field offices. I'm in the Massachusetts office in region one. We have um, three offices in the region. And uh, one is in Minnesota, one here in Massachusetts, and then one in Pennsylvania. In the Massachusetts office, we have 10 attorneys. and Practice areas are environmental law, realty, contracts, and procurements. Each attorney takes a lead in an area, and then there's some areas that we all work in. I take the lead on contracts and procurements, and for those that don't know, procurements are the acquisitions of services and goods or construction. The federal government spends billions a year on procurements, so it's a very active practice area. I spend half of my time on it. The other half, I do a mix of things. I review other agreements like grants or cooperative agreements. I review leases, title opinions. Um, I also do some wildlife cases. I don't have a typical day. Every day is different for me. I don't know what I'm gonna get. Um, So I start my day by checking my email, responding to it. I can get work assigned a couple different ways. It can either just come from my field solicitor or clients will just reach out directly when they have a question or they have an issue. Maybe they need a document reviewed like a contract or they need legal approval to move forward with something like a solicitation or construction services. That's gonna cost a million dollars. I also have um, several standing meetings um, every month with attorneys across the country. And it's a chance for us to get together and talk about any new developments, any issues we're having, any questions, and um, any litigation that's going on. I have a lot of flexibility on how I structure my day because I always have multiple files I'm working on. I like to jump around. So in the morning I might start a few hours reviewing a contract and in the afternoon I'll turn to something totally different like a wildlife case or looking at a lease. One thing that's really different for me in this job than any other job I've had is that I have almost zero face-to-face interaction with clients. We have clients in multiple states and most of my clients are actually outside of Massachusetts. So we communicate by phone and email. And just to wrap up, one thing I really enjoy about the agency is that we cover so many practice areas. So in addition to what I mentioned, there's also intellectual property, torts, Indian law, employment law, and so much more. So there's an opportunity there to focus on one practice area if that's what you're interested in, but you also can broaden out and you know branch into different things.
0: Thank you, Jamil. Um, Maggie, do you wanna go next?
2: Is my volume okay? Um, So I practice residential real estate, which is transactional law. So um, I have the, benefit of getting uh, very, very close and spending a lot of time with um, my clients who are typically buyers and sellers, individual people. Um, I used to do work with lenders, and then it is possible that I may never hear from them again. So I get really involved in so, a small chapter of someone's life. Um, what I do is very contract-based, and I deal with a as many As attorneys as I get to talk to in a day, I get to talk to as many non attorneys. So I'm really client facing. I work a lot with brokers, real estate agents. I'll talk to inspectors. I will talk to lenders. Um, So I get a lot of non legal interaction as well as, of course, um, the contract stuff. So generally in the morning, I wake up with a, a the panic of what went wrong last night. So whether it's someone didn't sign, docu-sign correctly, a check for a um, offer to purchase wasn't tendered, um, or inspection results were terrible, my first thought is to put out a fire. So once I deal with the sort of immediate prior to, you know, difficulties of of the day i then immediately start prioritizing since so much of what i do has um time limits time frames and deadlines um so i one of the best parts of what i do i think is what i call office hours so i work in a, a very large firm And I'm the only person who does any residential work in the firm, so I will get phone calls and um, email messages. And uh, when we were in an office, people would stop by to just pick my brain about how to do anything. So the fun what I think is is fun um, is drafting mortgages to secure a performance, for example. Um, how to retitle a very wealthy client, you know, 100 different parcels that they may own that make sense with their estate plan. Um, I really have the benefit of of working with a lot of different departments and a lot of different individuals um, to address real estate needs but and then towards the end of the day it really is about deadlines deadlines for signing a purchase and sale agreement a contingency for uh financing um due diligence deadlines the actual closing of a, of a property um those are always my focus that is always my focus and a lot of my job is trying to herd everybody else in that general direction so that's a little bit about my day.
0: All right, thank you, Maggie. Um, Scott, you're next on my screen.
3: Sure, thanks. Um, so my name is Scott Lauer. I am an assistant federal public defender here in Boston. Um, the public Defender's Office uh, represents people who are uh, charged with federal crimes, uh, generally pretty serious ones, um, and who can't afford to represent, uh, afford their own representation. So we're court appointed, um, there's about 20, attorneys, give or take, in my office, uh, paralegals, uh, investigators, support staff. Um, And my day is tremendously variable. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, talking to clients, writing to clients, um, Zooming with clients these days. Uh, A year ago, I would have been spending a lot of time in jails, uh, various jails and correctional settings, um, talking to their family members, uh, reviewing discovery, Occasionally meeting with experts, investigators, other people in the office, you know, brainstorming cases, legal research. Um, so whatever a particular case calls for, um, you know, I do have trials. Uh, uh, not a, not a lot of trials, as much as I would prefer, but um, do have trials on a pretty regular basis. And when you're in the middle of a trial, it's pretty much uh, all-consuming trial work. So. Um, uh, it's really interesting job you know uh, unfortunately most of my clients are at a pretty low point in their lives and I don't very often uh, have good news to convey um, but in the instances where you can help someone and uh, get them through a very difficult situation it can be pretty re- rewarding so I like it quite a bit great right, thank you
0: Scott and okay. um, Andrea you are next.
4: Thank you, Jillian. Um, Hi everyone, thanks for taking the time to be here. Um, My name is Andrea Carrillo, in English, Andrea. I'm a senior attorney at Greater Boston Legal Services. And for those of you who don't know, it's a nonprofit law firm in downtown Boston, and I practice in family law. I've been doing this for about seven years, uh, family law, consumer law, housing law and uh, our office has several different areas of law and my focus is really in my day I guess each day is very different as well Um, our hours are about nine to five I like to sign in a little bit early at 8 30 before people expect me to be at the office (laughs) and um, check my emails and I'm right now what I'm doing as a senior attorney is onboarding new attorneys and so I actually have my first attorney who will be joining our unit tomorrow and it's very exciting because it's the first attorney in our office for me who's who I'm onboarding in a pandemic so first supervision experience in a pandemic very exciting Um, so I'm working on a toolkit which is an online resource for the family practice in our firm I find that it's really important to be efficient and especially with COVID to have everything in one place our attorneys range from you know one year out of, out of law school to somebody who's been practicing for 35 years. So it's really about finding common ground and communication in our firm and in our practice. I'm um, also am managing the workforce committee, which is a racial justice group subcommittee that we have at Greater Boston Legal Services working on diversity issues. So every day it's checking emails, prioritizing, I work uh, directly for clients. So I either have my own caseload um, and I'm contacting clients on the phone or lately consulting with other colleagues and mentoring newer attorneys and trying to help them figure uh, out what to do with their cases. Um, I used to do a lot more litigation and currently I'm sort of taking a step back and trying to start up grants and and really try to onboard new attorneys. So it's been exciting
0: and happy to be here. Thank you, Andrea. And last but not least, Nancy.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, Nancy,
5: you're on mute. Thank you. Interesting to me to listen to everyone else describe what they do, because I think that one of the takeaways for a uh, law student is that um, in most areas of practice, there's a great deal of diversity in what we do in any given day, um, because that is something that is the hallmark of what I do as well, but it sounds like that's true of everybody. Um, And what I do as a family law attorney, I typically start with a schedule of calls with clients and calls with opposing counsel and maybe a half day that's set aside to write an agreement or to draft a pretrial memorandum. And then as somebody described, I think it was Maggie, um, everything is turned upside down because a decision comes in on a court order comes in or I get a call from a client that, that his or her spouse is not returning the child or the children when he or she is supposed to or something changes. We get a long awaited settlement response that we need to attend to and review right away. And we wanna let the client know right away. Um, so best laid plans, that's how that typically goes. But I think that the lesson there is that a certain amount of flexibility is also required um, when one goes about um, you know, a, a practicing law. Um, we wear as family law attorneys, we wear a lot of different hats. Um, we have to be prepared partly to play psychologist um, to our clients when they need help with difficult parenting issues. We, or just sort of navigating what are almost always difficult emotional waters. There, you know, we, our clients are almost always, ex- or their spouses are experiencing some mix of, of hurt and disappointment and anger. And so that often interferes with rational decision making, so we have to be prepared to navigate that with our clients. Um, And we have to be able to handle the quantitative aspects of what we do, because ultimately we are really handling the dissolution of a partnership um, that has many, many financial elements. So we have to be able to analyze the support issues for child support and alimony purposes, Look at different aspects of income. There are many different components of income, as one might imagine, particularly if there's a family business or consulting income that's not just a straight, straight, you know, employer W 2 kind of income. Um, and analyze what are often complex marital estates with different kinds of assets. Um, so that, that, that all, you know, that keeps things very, very um, varied for us. And we, also, so we try to settle cases. And most of the time, I would say 95% of the time we're able to settle cases, we need to be able to negotiate uh, to, to forge those settlements, we need to be contract attorneys who can draft agreements. Um, we also need to be able to litigate if we can't resolve things, we need to be prepared to draft emotions and argue them in court and ultimately, if necessary, go to trial. So there's an enormous amount of, of of variation in what we do. And ultimately, you know, I think in somebody else, I think it was Scott who said, you know, he feels that he's helping people. And I think probably all of us derive some satisfaction from feeling that that's what we're doing in our, in our daily lives. And certainly, you know, I feel that way as well, because we really are are trying very hard to help people get through an extremely difficult time in their lives, where, you know, I, 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 can't tell you how many times people have said, this is the last thing I ever expected to be doing. And my heart goes out to them because I know nobody gets married and on their wedding day thinks one day I'll be sitting in a lawyer's office getting divorced. And it is heartbreaking and I do feel for all of them. And I really feel for the children. And so trying to protect the children from parents who think they're both trying to do right by the children um, is its own is its own challenge and something that I take a great deal of pride in 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 trying to do. So I love what I do all these years later.
0: Thank you, Maxie. Um, so we have a few preset questions, but if you guys think of anything as like a jumping off point Feel free to put it in the chat as you think of it. Um, to start off, um, when did you know you wanted to go into this particular practice area? And we'll start with Jamil and then move to Scott.
1: Hey, so I kind of just fell into the area. I've taken a lot of twists and turns in my career. I've worked in both the private and public sector. I um, did family law in the past. I worked for a couple state agencies. I would go to court every week. And I realized that I liked a more transactional based practice. I was interested in finance and things with fiscal law. And that led me to work with the state treasurer's office in Massachusetts. And that's how I learned about procurements and government contracts. I was there for five and a half years. Um, I was the director of procurements and ended up managing it for over 10 departments. And I really loved it. decided last year to make the transition and do it on the federal side where I could do it on a a much bigger scale.
0: Thank you. Um, Scott, what about you?
3: So I, um, in law school, uh, knew that I wanted to do work in the criminal field and I uh, actually originally thought I wanted to do prosecution work. And I spent a couple summers in prosecutor's office, uh, offices in law school and, it wasn't a great fit, um, just, uh, you know, line prosecutors uh, fresh out of law school and um, uh, most prosecutor offices don't have a tremendous amount of autonomy um, and just seeing the day in day out of it from a prosecutor's point of view, it, it just didn't fit for me. So in my third year of law school, I did a criminal clinic uh, representing uh, people in Dorchester, um, Dorchester District Court here in Boston. Um, and I, I really got a lot out of that. Um, I, I just, you know, I liked having an actual client, you know, a person who I could talk to and, you know, who I, I was representing as opposed to the state, whatever that is. Um, so I, um, I sort of switched over in law school and uh, started working at the public defender at a law school on the state side. And um, now I'm doing it federally. So, um, you know, I, it's it's good because I, I mean, I have an interest in criminal law. Um, it's a job where I'm in court a lot. Um, and I, I like that experience. I like being in court. I like having trials. I like, you know, um, that sort of thing. So uh, that's, that's what drew me into it. And I found, you know, the, the work on the defense side to be a better fit for me.
0: Well, thank you both so much. Um, I do think it's always interesting to hear the way that attorneys end up where they they are currently because it is just so individual for each person. Um, For our next question, um, what has surprised you most about your practice area? And we will start with Nancy and then move to Andrea. You're on mute, Nancy.
5: What has surprised me the most about my practice area is um, is what I do for a living. Um, that was not what I expected. I actually, I did, with all due respect to Maggie, I'm so glad she loves what she does. I started out my career doing that, doing commercial real estate. And, and I, I just found that I didn't especially like it. And I had been doing that for a few years. And, and, um, and people said to me, oh, you can't change your course of your practice now you'll lose the three years worth of experience you gained can't start over now and i thought i hope to practice for many many years and i don't want to keep doing something that i don't think is a good fit so i did make a change and i'm so glad i did um but um I I sort of foolishly thought when I went into this area of law in New York City many years ago that um, it was going to be all settlement and and helping people work through these situations and and simply settling cases and writing agreements and it was all going to be very very nice and a happy positive experience for everybody. And that was extremely, extremely naive. And what I didn't, what I knew also is that I did not wanna to go to court and I did not wanna do anything quantitative. I wasn't interested in those areas of law. So what I ended up finding out when I went into this area of law was that it was enormously quantitative um, and all about the the asset division and, and determining appropriate income and alimony and support amounts. Um, And that there was a lot of court and I came to really love those things. Um, And once I became comfortable with them, and um, apart from the fact that how did I not know that that's its own set of questions that we don't have to waste time with but um, but um, what I learned was that, and what I'd want to pass along is that you really don't want to be guided by fear in the decisions you make about your career choices because had I fully understood what this area of law consisted of, I would have been afraid of it. I'm not sure I would have recognized it as fear, but that's what it would have been and I wouldn't have done this. And instead, I found my way into it and um, and embraced it and, and found that I could develop those skills and that I actually really loved that. So um, I think it's really worthwhile not to be guided by fear in the decisions that you make. Um, and the second thing that's related to that is if you do find yourselves in a position where you're kind of called upon to do things you weren't expected, you weren't expecting to be doing, or didn't think you were going to be good at. Um, Try to embrace them enough to see if you can master those skills or learn those skills, and 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 see if you come to, to like it. Because you might find yourself um, with strengths that you didn't expect, and liking something that you didn't expect to like. I mean, the truth is, most of us who go to law school, I mean, none of us have obviously ever practiced law before. Many of us don't know lawyers, aren't very, ex- aren't particularly exposed to lawyers or what lawyers do thus the need for panels like this, which I think are a good idea. Um, But you can't really know exactly what you wanna do when you're in law school, how could you possibly? So I think it's a great idea to be as open-minded as you can and not be afraid, really think about what you might wanna do, learn more about it than I knew, but don't be, don't let fear um, keep you from doing it. And if you do find that you're doing something that doesn't feel like a great fit, don't be afraid to make a change to something that you something else you might enjoy more.
0: Thank you, Nancy. Some really really good advice in there, especially for um, any three Ls that are looking at graduation here coming up soon. Um, Andrea, I think
4: so. For me, uh, one of the things that most surprised me is that it's a lot more collaborative than I thought. And so I practice family law, like Nancy, and I there's a lot of word word smithing that goes on. Uh, it's a lot about framing the issues. I can't tell you how much time I will spend thinking about how to draft an email or organizing, just points for a phone call to an opposing attorney, a pro se litigant, um, just the amount of thought that goes into just the words that I use has never been something I thought about as much. Um, but what I really find fascinating, and I, I think it really depends on where you work, is that my work is extremely collaborative. So right now we have Teams chat groups. I created Floobies for the like newer you know, attorneys in my office. But um, you know, we will strategize together. You know, an issue pops up, a fire we have to put out, and I don't ever feel alone. I know that I can reach out to my colleagues, you know, on the phone or an email or chat and say, here's what's going on, what do you all think? Um and I think that that's really important is just having finding a firm or finding a place where you can work where you know that people are always available. I really feel that I have people always available to me, whether it's nine to five before or after. You know, I have my phone chat on and I just really think that. While you're in the courtroom, if you're litigating by yourself, I think that to me, the work that I put in, it's really a testament to my my co workers just helping out so I would say that I never thought I would be like so in such a collaborative practice law school felt very lonely to me, you know, because I was the first in my family to go to law school and it just. I will say that practicing law and my experiences now are so much more exciting and greater and well-rounded than law school. So for those of you out there, if law school isn't your jam right now, don't worry. It wasn't mine and I'm loving my practice. So you'll figure out what you wanna do. And I know what Jamil says, Jamil loves transactional. I'm on the flip side, I did transactional. Then I'm you now doing litigation and I might change again. So you never know, you, know, you can kind of ebb and flow, but um,
0: yeah. Thank you, Andrea. That is such a positive um, outlook, especially now when we're all sort of in our own homes. Um, It's nice to think that we're all still, you know, helping each other out. Um, So for our next question, if you could go back and do one thing differently when you were in law school, what would that be? Um, We'll start with Maggie and then move to Jamil.
2: I would have taken that course on bankruptcy because it comes up all the time and I don't know anything about it, but more broadly, I would really encourage people to take those practical skills courses if there are courses on drafting contracts drafting estate plan negotiating um, generally the hardest. Transition I had was from say property law to a title report um, or conducting a title exam. So taking you know what we learn in law school, which is very theoretical, and then moving that to a specific skill set. And your employers, of course, will know that you don't have that. But it was just such a big mind shift for me to go from you know these conceptual ideas of law to what we're talking about here which is day-to-day practice um and that was one of the things i really uh, recognized about suffolk was that there were a lot of really practical specific and applicable courses available um, so I would recommend if there's one that piques your interest, I'm sure that there's a skill somewhere in there, even if it's not exactly the fields you wind up in. There's going to be a skill you're going to learn um, and and be able to apply elsewhere, especially in terms of drafting, email, client communications, um, let alone subject matter of, you know, the one IP class you took, Um I, so
1: that's, that's what I would say. Thank you so much, um, Jamil. I would join local and national bar associations. I didn't know about them until after I was admitted to the bar, but they offer free or discounted membership to law students. They have sections dedicated to law students and you have an opportunity to get involved, take on leadership roles, you can meet attorneys, you can learn about different areas of the law. You can get practical advice on how to interview for a job, how to go about your job search. You can get scholarships, you can get bar exam coaching. There's so many resources that's, right avail- that's available right at your fingertips. And for me, networking is key. Uh, your network is gonna be important throughout your career. So why not start developing those relationships as early as you can?
0: Really good advice, thank you, Jamil. Um, For anyone who's here, a small plug for the BBA, so I'm one of their law school ambassadors for Boston University. Um, I think we have all of our positions filled for this year, but if you are at one of the other partner schools, I believe most of them still have positions open if you wanted to get more involved with the BBA this year. Um, So for our next question, do you have any experiences you would like to share involving your organization, a colleague, or yourself related to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace? Um, We'll start with Maggie and then move to Andrea.
2: So I find personally one of the biggest, my personal obstacle with diversity and inclusion discussions is the boundary between a personal and a professional um, environment. And that my firm is a big firm so it is very very professional um and i think though that the personal conversations and the sort of assumptions that are made come from a very heteronormative white cis background so one of the ways that i personally have tried to both carve space for myself and to try to make others feel included is just at when I feel the most appropriate opportunity, um, I try to out myself whenever possible. Um, I that's my personal, you know, struggle and balance. It's not always easy, but um, I personally choose to out myself during interviews. I find it very important for my prospective teammates and employers to know that I'm married to a woman and that she's gonna come with me if spouses are invited to firm functions. Um, I try to be very clear that you know she's my wife. And so when my secretary or assistant is saying something about my husband, I try to correct that. And I just hope in doing that, that there's a little bit of change Um, to some of the assumptions that are made about, you know, personal backgrounds and life stories for attorneys, because perhaps they did all used to have a very similar background. Um, Less and less we do now, and this is just one little way that I've tried to um, speak my piece and try to let other people know that if you have a different um, family makeup, background, um, that at least I'm, you know, out here trying to say that I do too. So that's just my story.
0: Thank you so much, Maggie, and it's, I mean, it truly is those little things in our day-to-day that um, do create change, um, you know, slowly over time. Um, Andre. Uh,
4: hi, so I guess for me, it's really about Making people feel people feel included and inclusive no matter where you go. You know, I am Mexican American and that's just it's part of who I am and it's a part of my identity. You know, some people may or may not see that, but it's really a part of who I am. And I think that, you know, it, it's it's hard. Some of us can pass off as white and some of us can't, right? And so there are just really different Perspectives that people have and expectations that people have, so I think it's it's really about finding where you feel comfortable. Um, for me, every interview I've gone to or every position I've applied to, you know, I do think about you know whether I'll I will feel comfortable there or if there's something I can do once I arrive there. And so, um, currently at Greater Boston Legal Services, we do have the racial justice group, and I've been there for three years, and we just started that in July um, after Black Lives Matter, you know, became important right became something that we recognized and. It's, it's a little late for us, you know, I think um, just given the history of our, our organization, but nevertheless, I just think it's important to find out what's important to you and, you know, to not be afraid to to discuss it and just to feel comfortable, you know, uh, and finding a place where you can be accepted. And if not, um, not accepted, but just helping to make the change the culture in a way that will make others feel included and feel comfortable. I think it's not always easy, you know, I people already knew me at GBLS, I interned there as a law student. So I kind of had, you know, kind of woven myself in there, you know, I didn't come in day one and started banging on doors. But I really think that your reputation as a professional, you know, as a future lawyer and just being include, you know, inclusive and caring of people generally, right? I think that that really helps to pave the way to then begin to have some conversations with people, um, what uh, your organization or your company.
0: Well, thank you both so much for sharing that with us. We are going to move into student questions. Um, One person DM'd me, the rest of you, if you have questions. Um, Otherwise, I'm gonna have to start making them up. (laughs) Um, But this one um, is actually based on something Andrea said um, back at the beginning, but anyone can feel free to jump in. Um, For recent graduates, what advice do you have um, with coming into our first jobs from this online platform where we won't be able to initially have that in-person experience to meet other people we work with? Find mentors, etc. Um, Andrea, I think because you're dealing with onboarding, um, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I will say I have been
4: on two hiring committees during COVID, working on my third. And so the first, you know, in terms of getting through the door, um, obviously, you know, have your Zoom cameras ready. You know, have your. It doesn't have to be fancy. You know, we're all in different spaces, but really thinking thinking through preparing just as you would. Like Dimitri, love in your background, very plain. You know, just. You know, Madeline, looking great. You know, people can see you, people can see your eyes, you know, wear a nice shirt as you can, right? Obviously, don't worry about your leggings. Um, But I think that just having the same decor that you have when you are in an interview in a big scary room, just know that your your Zoom interview room, it should be a little bit more comfortable so that you know that nobody can see, you know, what leggings you're wearing. In terms of networking, you know, figure out what you're looking for, what you're interested in. The BBA has so many programs, I cannot tell you all, some of you have your screens off, I get it. I'm a mom, so I'm wearing leggings, but I'm still here, you know, showing up. So, you know, think about what is interesting to you for BBA programs and just, you know, attend a couple. It's, It's finals, you're busy, so maybe not in the next month, maybe you just choose one but showing up, um, really trying to contact people who are on the panels. A lot of us attorneys, we love to share what we know. If you email Nancy, I'm sure she'll email you back. You know, we're all really here to help each other out. So as if you're, int- if you're looking for a job, attend different events and network with people via email, you know, show something, you know, m- mention something that you are interested in that you heard. I'm already wondering who DM'd about this question. So, you know, I think that you are all really great at connecting you know, email, we're all wordsmiths, we're all lawyers, Um, so really attending programs. A lot of our associations are really hurting for business, you know, the BBA, the Women's Bar Association, you know, there's a a lot of others I haven't mentioned, so really take advantage of being a law student, and if you're graduating, if you're a 3L and you're on your way out, email me, like, I am on several listservs and happy to help, you know, and and point you in the right direction. But I, I really feel that we're more connected now than ever. So it's just a matter of Googling, or if you don't know, no, knock on the door or email somebody who does know, and they will absolutely share, you know, your, CD, your uh, career development offices and
0: whatnot. Thank you so much, that's really great advice. Um, for any of our other panelists, anyone have anything they would like to add? I do have other questions, if not. Yeah, all right, totally cool. Um, Okay, so our next question. um, For someone um, who is originally from England, but has gone to school elsewhere, but would like to move back, um, what's some advice for breaking into the Boston legal market and just any general networking advice?
1: Happy to jump in. Um, I would just pick up on where Andrea left off. Join the local bar associations. And figure out what um, areas you're interested in, or you think you might be interested in, and then email the co-chairs, introduce yourself, let them know I'm, you know, I just graduated, I'm, you know, new to the area, I want to stay here, and then reach out to people. You can attend um, meetings. Sometimes you can be an at-large member for the committees, and that's what I did myself. I would just reach out, say, "Hey, I'm interested." Um, Do you have time for some coffee, I'd love to talk to you. And you can also do it um, for the national bar associations too. And um, they'll have, you know, different regional offices usually, but um, always just introduce yourself. And um, just don't kind of wait for things to happen. You have to be active. And if there's opportunities that arise all the time, they're looking for volunteers, take a volunteer opportunity you could write on a journal, you can help plan a panel, and then people get to know you, they can introduce you to other people. You no, know it's difficult right now with the pandemic, but I've found that I've done probably far more networking in the pandemic that I did prior to it because now I have this whole like world of people that I usually wasn't able to connect with because of whatever you know other responsibilities I had. And it's much easier now that I'm not trying to navigate, trying to get to different locations and I can just Hop on the Zoom meeting. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, again, really great general networking advice, even in this sort of weird time. Um, Any of our other panelists want to jump on that question?
3: I'll put in a plug for doing clinics or uh, volunteer opportunities with organizations. Um, You know, one thing that I remember from law school is that, you know, I I didn't get out of the classroom as much as I would have liked in retrospect, and um, you know, my office. Regularly has interns. Uh, you know, the Northeastern Law School um, has a lot of placements through co-ops, but we we take kids from from all the local schools. And um, I think when you do that, you not only make connections by virtue of just being around and working with other people, but you learn. You, if you go into a courtroom, if you listen to attorneys dealing with their cases, you can then speak more intelligently about the work in an interview setting, and you you will have better direction. So put yourself out there. That's that's really the best thing that I can say.
0: Thank you, Scott. Again, really excellent advice. And I know even just speaking from a VU perspective, um, we are constantly getting um, notifications about different um, online um, volunteer opportunities. So that's still definitely something that can happen even during the um, pandemic. Oh, and Andrea um, wanted t- me to say that GBLS Oh, I'm sorry, this is in the everyone chat. I'm sorry, that's an idea. You guys can read that. (laughs) Um, So for our next question, um, what about your careers do you find meaningful or most meaningful, again, for the whole panel? I'm gonna cold call people, I'll do it.
4: I'll go quickly. For me, it's when when I was working really closely with clients, it's really directing, speaking with clients directly. So I work with people who are absolutely vulnerable. We cannot represent every single person. And so I was hosting a family law clinic uh, at Rosie's Place of Women's Shelter, and people had issues that were just very sad. And I, what I would do is I would spend an hour with them or 30 minutes and just give them some advice and have them walk away with a checklist of, you know, here's a court service center phone number, you know, your court case is probably in this courthouse. And sometimes just offering advice and reviewing contracts and things like that um, for 30 30 minutes I think to me that was very meaningful Um, you know just you're not always able to help everybody full rep you know for 14 months which is kind of the average of my case the life of my cases so to me I think at a law school I love helping people no matter whether it's 30 minutes or 14 months long so to me it's really helping people.
0: Anyone else want to jump on that question? Okay, um, we can move on. Um, So going back to sort of um, working in this pandemic time, um, what for you guys was the most difficult transition from in-person to a mostly online workspace?
1: Happy to jump in. Prior to the pandemic, I always worked full-time in the office. I've never Telework before and since March, I've been on mandatory tele- mandatory telework, so it's been an adjustment for me. I do enjoy it because I cut down on my dry cleaning, I cut down on my <laughs> traveling costs, but um, I do miss um, not being able to, you know, go to lunch with people in person and just walk to, you know, a colleague's office to talk about something. And it does take discipline to just kind of sit, you know, at my computer. All day and focus, um, and sometimes you have you know other distractions at home, um, so that's been an adjustment for me.
5: I can speak to that as well a little a bit. Um, our my area of work is really given to remote um, communication quite well, and, and it, it works very effectively. But what I really miss, and what I think all of us at my firm miss, is we have an extremely collegial group of people and everybody has the same kind of work ethic about working really hard and we all really care about our clients and doing a good job for them and and um and everybody has the same kind of values about real you know decency so we try not to let our clients go too far afield when those emotions do sometimes get the better of them and so I love the group of people that I work with so much, and we all care deeply about each other, and we have worked together for quite some time. And I really miss the collegiality, even though everyone's working hard in their offices. You've got someone poking their head, or can I when you're on that call or whatever, and sitting down to go over something. And and we actually don't take time for lunch in my office, but but we, we try to every now and then. Um, but. environment in my office that we all really enjoy. And um, I miss that. We all miss it. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, but you know,
0: if we all behave ourselves. Hopefully we can get back there before too long. Um, Scott, did you have something you wanted to add?
3: Yeah, I just, I think it's really hard to develop the attorney-client relationship um, without some degree of in-person contact. I, I have clients who I have never met in person who are in jail. And uh, it just, it's, it's a different kind of relationship. I do think it's meaningful to, to be in the same room with someone, to shake their hand, to look at the same documents at the same time. And, and Zoom is great and it, you can accomplish a lot of the same things, but, but it's not, it's no substitute for um, really, you know, forming a relationship with someone in person through, um, through office meetings or, or whatnot. Um, so that, that part is difficult.
5: And there is, if I may, Jillian, there's one other note that I should add, and that is that um, what has happened a lot in my field is that because the courts are so terribly backed up, the probate and family courts are so backed up, they were before COVID, and now it's sort of hopeless. It's it's really difficult to get a hearing on an issue um, if one needs one. And so we always say you you really hope more than ever to have the better side of every case, both because it's really tough to get into court if the other side is taking uh, an unreasonable position. But in any event, what a lot of us are doing now is using retired judges as mediators or conciliators to handle cases. And we did that previously, but now we do it even more. So previously we could all sit together, both sides, the lawyers, the clients, we'd all sit together in the mediator's office. Sometimes there'd be shuttle diplomacy between two conference rooms. And other, you know, other times we'd all sit together, but we could all sort of, we all knew we were there with the objective of settling the case. And there's a certain pressure and imperative to really get it done when everybody's taken time off and come together and we've all made this effort and people are much more inclined to give up little things that, that really just don't matter, but that they're willing to make an accommodation on because we're all there together trying to get it done. So now that we're doing those mediations and conciliations by Zoom, a little bit of that imperative is lost. So we're still doing them, but uh, people don't feel the same pressure or impetus to get it done that day. It's like, okay, well, we'll just sign off from this meeting. We made some progress. We'll, we'll talk again in a week or two. And so we, we lose some of the value of, of that process in this Zoom environment we live in currently. Yeah,
0: that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you both for that. Um, again, stuff that I think is important for our three L's who are probably still going to be working mostly in that environment here. Um, come next year. So I am keeping an eye on the time. So this will be our last um, student question before we move on to our final comments from the panel. Um, so this is specifically for Andrea. Um, could you give us some detail about your work in racial justice.
4: Sure. So we have three subcommittees. We have the Workforce Committee, which is focused on improving hiring, recruitment, and retention, specifically with attorneys of color and diverse candidates. We have the Workplace Committee, which is internally looking at how are we doing day to day? You know, are we connecting with one another? Are we getting trained in implicit bias and becoming aware of our unconscious bias? Um, And then the third one being community. Are we serving the communities well and um, you know we do have serve about 31 communities and so we're looking at the three different areas and and i'm excited that we will be having a like a two-part training coming up um, that's going to be in december as well as in january because you know our company our organization is i think i think about 100 I may be wrong but it's quite old it's quite old 50 years and so there's a lot of history is there's been a lot of of changes in the organization and so we're really trying to focus on internal external And, you know, to me, I want the workforce because I'm really interested in recruitment, hiring and retention, and just to make sure that we have people feel included from the day they come in and hopefully don't leave, you know, for a while and and really like learn as much as they can. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. So um, thank you guys for coming out tonight Um, to kind of wrap up, uh, coming out from our bedrooms. um, To kind of wrap it up, I'm going to have each of our panelists um, give any last words of advice they have specifically for law students um, graduating this year or just for law students in general. Um, And I'll do it kind of just by who's on my screen first. So
2: Maggie, if you want to start us off. My advice would be to be frank with yourself about your weaknesses. Um, Once you're able to identify some of your weaknesses, you'll be able to move through them. It took me a while to realize I'm more productive at evening. It took me a while to realize I procrastinate. And then it took me even longer to be able to find mechanisms of maximizing those weaknesses or habits or peculiarities um, into a study or work routine that really sort of benefited me. I felt in law school that everybody sort of had the same study schedule and the same study mechanisms and routines, and that didn't always work for me, so I would really um, suggest people be frank with themselves about their weaknesses and then um, adapt and then when you're ready for interviews for potential employment, you'll be able to talk about uh, what are those strengths and what are those weaknesses and how have you been able to overcome them um, to have a successful sort of study and then work uh, productivity.
1: So good luck. Thank you so much, Um, Jamil I would say be flexible. Nancy mentioned that earlier. Um, think about what you want set goals develop a strategic plan but be flexible because it's a fluid process things aren't always going to go the way that you expected or according to the timeline that you want and I found that my flexibility has served me very well in my career and um, employers love that when they know you you know you're willing to do anything and try things and um, it's not it's just not one way to do things and Another thing I would say is you can jump to different practice areas. I've done that even further along in my career. I've been practicing for several years now and I'm new to environmental law starting last year. So you can do different things as a new attorney, but even as you get further along along in your career, you can do that. And you're the next generation of attorneys and things are changing and it's not the way it used to be. You don't have to be in you know one practice area for 20 years. And if you want to, that's fine, but again, it's a new generation and you're rewriting things. So don't be scared to, you know, step outside the box. Thank you so much. Scott?
3: Yeah, so I was, um, I was thinking about this question and reading some of the stories about, you know, the election litigation. And um, I was sort of thinking about what it means to have a client and to advance the client's interests and, and at the same time, you know, you uh, feel like you're doing something worthwhile. Um, and and that, that can be a challenge. When you graduate law school, you're probably not gonna be in a senior position. You're probably not gonna have much sway over larger institutions. Um, and uh, you, know, you may or may not be comfortable with the work that you're asked to do. But um, this profession you know, uh, advances and, and achieves things because people push it and people advocate. and. Um, I, I think, you know, no matter where you end up, you know, you can you can try to uh, change, uh, you know, if, you, if there's some aspect of an organization that you think, you know, should be looked at, you can advocate for that. Um, if you feel passionately about something that is outside the purview of your organization, there's bar organizations, you can do pro bono work, there's... Um, uh, I, I just think it's important for people to recognize you, you should be a good lawyer and also you can, you can be a good citizen at the same time and try and um, achieve the interests of your clients and, and uh, do it in a way that is uh, ethical and meaningful.
0: Thank you, Scott. Yeah, really, really important thoughts for, for our ongoing times, I think, um, and really inspirational. Thank you. Andrea?
4: Thank you. I would say just from the hiring committees, you know, and my experience with interns and now supervising, know what you know and know what you don't know. I love what Maggie said. I think that that was really important for me too. You know, learn about your learning style, know what you know and know what you don't know when you are interning or when you're getting your first job. As a supervisor, if you don't know something, I wanna know, like if you have a question, come to, you know, come to me, come to somebody else. I I just think that it's really dangerous as attorneys when we try to hide what we don't know, and maybe don't research it, it is just worse for everybody else. And so I I think demonstrating vulnerability is really helpful. I know that not all workplaces, you know, may encourage that, you know, I know that sometimes in private firms, things can be a little more competitive. But it's just really important to even find those people at your office who you can trust and just be like, I'm not really sure, like, where did you find that? Is there a statute, you know, because really, it's, It's to me, I trust people who know who can come to me and say, I don't know that. I'm like, all right, let's work on this together. And the second piece of advice that I really think is helpful is commit to what you do. Um, You know, I didn't start in the area of law that I wanted, but it was a job that I, you know, I was able to get Uh, with Jamil. I love what she said. I was flexible. It was long-term. I wanted permanent, but I took it anyway. So commit to what you're doing, to your assignment, to your memos, to your contracts, to your negotiations, do it a hundred percent. I know it's stressful time, but do it 100% because your reputation will precede you. And so if you don't like the area of law you're doing today, don't worry, you know, you can change it next year, but it's your reputation within the organization or wherever you work that will keep those doors open. Um, I've, I've been at GBLS on and off since 2010, and I got my job in part because of the person who, you know, who I interned for in 2010. And so it's, to me, it's just really about committing and just being vulnerable with people. But I wish you all the best of luck. And again, reach reach out to me if you have any
0: questions, happy to help. Thank you so much, very good advice. And finally, Nancy.
5: Well, I really, I love hearing what everyone has had to say. I think it's really such terrific advice that you're all giving and I hope that, I I hope that those who are participating take it to heart and that others will hear it as well. Um, I've I've sort of shared some of my, what I think is my, uh, you know, my perhaps best advice to law students, which is and I think I would incorporate what everyone else has said, what Maggie said about about knowing oneself and Jamil said about flexibility and everything i Andrea said and what what Scott said as well and um but but I think that, um. I think committing, doing the best job you can do in whatever you're doing is so incredibly important and you can change it later. I think not being guided by fear and the decisions and choices you make is incredibly important. And I think it's actually a mistake that that many of us make at many points in our lives. And I think, um, um, and in many contexts in our lives that I think we should all make an effort uh, to avoid doing. And um, and, um You know, reaching out to people, whether for the kind of help that Andrea described to be frank about something you don't know, which is so important to do much better than making a mistake. um, Or reaching out to someone for help in a job context through a bar association as Jamil described that whatever it may be, I I think, you know, reach out. It's terrific that you all took time out from your your exam schedules to participate in this. It it speaks so well of all of you that you recognize the value of something like this and wanted to um, hear what practitioners had to say in in these, in these respects. And certainly I join in everyone else in saying that you're welcome to reach out to me, whether for general thoughts about, about your, your career choices and, and job paths, or for something specific related to family law. I wish you all the best. Well, thank you so much to our
0: panelists. I I can't say enough how helpful all of that was. I mean, I'm a one on myself and I was sitting here just absorbing everything that you guys had to say. Um, Thank you again for attending this and thank you to all of our students who came out. You all had lovely questions and I know that we're all extremely busy right now. So thank you for taking the time out of your day and I will give it over to
3: Doug. I would just echo the thank you to everybody. Um, This was a great program. Thank you to our panelists. And yes, busy time we know. So thank you all for coming out tonight. Um, And
0: we hope you enjoy your day. Thank you.